but think about that last verse this morning. When we get to heaven and being able to crown Him the Lord of all. Amen. Looking forward to that day. Let's stand together if you would. Turn to page number one. Page number one. Rejoice the Lord is King. He is the Lord. He is the King of all. Let's sing it out this morning. All four verses. Page number one. Rejoice the Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice the Lord our Savior. God of truth and love. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. His kingdom cannot fail. Amen. Good to be uh, in the Lord's uh, house. And so let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Did just want to mention a, a few things really, really quickly. If you have kids in Faith Baptist School, don't forget about uh, the Valentine's Day uh, party is scheduled for Tuesday, not Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday from 1 to 3 p.m. And then, of course, there are games, uh, volleyball and basketball games again on this coming Friday. Uh, these will be at Heritage Baptist Church over in Lawrence starting at 5 o'clock uh, in the evening. And then, of course, our outreach uh, this coming Saturday at 1030 in the morning. And then also wanted to mention this as well. On the back table as you're heading out uh, are some flyers for our upcoming uh, youth rally uh, in March that we host uh, every year. We certainly have a lot of area-wide churches uh, that come. I know we had over 300 uh, last year and just had a great uh, turnout and a great uh, meeting. And then, of course, so we're expecting that uh, this year as well. Uh, going to have Brother Sam Davison is going to be here uh, with us and preaching. And if you've never heard Brother Sam preach, I would encourage you to come. Uh, it, it is a uh, blessing and looking forward uh, to that. But sure glad you're here this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Ask God's blessing on our services. Brother Rich Raymer, would you open us in prayer this morning?
Amen. Why don't you be seated this morning? Let's turn to page number 159, if you would. Page 159. Lamb of Glory will sing both verses this morning. Page 159. Hear the story from God's Word. Sing it out with me on the first verse. Hear the story from God's Word that kings and priests and prophets heard. There would be a sacrifice and blood would flow to pay sin's price. Precious Lamb of continue to play. Let's get around and shake hands with one another this morning. Good to have each one of you here. So thankful you chose to be here this morning.
159. Let's sing it out on that chorus together. Precious Lamb of glory, love's most wondrous story, heart of God's redemption of man, worship the Lamb of glory. Amen. As the men come for the offering, I'd like to read to you from Psalm 31. It says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Brother Parker, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated. stand together one last time. Turn to page 182. Page 182, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Page 182. Let's sing it out together. All three verses this morning. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive.
know that last verse is so true if you know Christ as your Savior. But if you don't, you don't know what your future holds this morning. You need to know before you leave this morning that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And for those of us that do, we need to sing that last verse again this morning, understanding that we have heaven to look forward to. And that's an exciting thing. And we're going to go a cappella on that chorus, all right? Let's sing it out. And then one day, one of these days, we're going to go home to be with the Lord. What a great day that's going to be. And then one day, I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know He lives because He lives.
I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. If you're thankful he lives this morning, say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Great singing this morning. Just before the message this morning, Brother Tim Quinlan is going to come sing. It's out of your hands, you've done all you can do. You've given God the problem, it's no longer up to you. You've prayed the prayer of faith, you're standing on God's truth. While you're waiting on the answer, He has a question for you. Is anything too hard for God? Who's got a problem beyond his power to solve? Are there situations he's not the master of? Is anything too hard for God? Only believe, trust His Word, you'll see. His plans are not unfolding, they're forming perfectly. It's clear how much He loves you, look at all He's done. For all your questions, there's really only one. Is anything too hard for God? Who's got a problem beyond his power to solve? Are there situations he's not the master of? Is anything too hard for God? Simply trusting every day, trusting through the stormy way, even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Are there situations he's not the master of? Is anything too hard for God? Appreciate that, Brother Tim. What a blessing. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Amen. Sure thankful that... 
Uh, you are here, and of course we have been going through uh, the Gospel of Luke in our uh, Sunday morning uh, series, and, and last week we saw uh, at the very beginning of chapter number four how uh, the Lord Jesus was tempted by uh, Satan, and, and of course you and I uh, saw the tremendous lesson there that anytime you set out to do what God said to do, you can mark it down. The enemy's going to be there to try to try to mess things up. But here's one thing I'm I'm thankful for this morning. He failed when it came to Jesus Christ, and uh, thankful, very very grateful uh, for that. So take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke and and chapter number four, because what we're going to see now is the next set. Uh, verses here, and the Lord Jesus Christ, His ministry, uh, certainly getting underway here. And let's all stand in honor of God's Word, if you're able to stand. In Luke chapter number 4, we know this, that He is going to go into the regions of Galilee there, the region of Galilee, particularly the area of Capernaum. But we also know this, that He is going to go into His hometown of Nazareth, all right, where he was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but certainly raised uh, in Nazareth, and he's going to go there and preach the Word of God. And mercy, what a scene it is. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 14. The Bible says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. But now notice verse number 16. It says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias, talking about Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Okay? Now let me just stop here and say this. Kind of amazing how special things happen around the Lord Jesus Christ. It is birth. When he went into the temple and was, and was presented uh, for dedication, all of these things. No doubt, none of this is by coincidence. Right? So look at verse 18. Here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And, and the eyes of all them were in the synagogue, that were in the synagogue, were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, son. I'm telling you, I just, I think to myself, if I would have been there, I would have been like, glory. Amen. Amen. All right, I might have jumped a pew or two, I don't know. 
I'm just saying to you, that's awesome. But let me say this. That's not what happens in Nazareth. Look at verse 22. And all bear him witness and wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now you've got to understand, gracious words. That's Luke's description. That's not their description. Because they said, and they said, here, here's what they said. Is not this Joseph's son? Well, that's not what Isaiah said he would be. That's talking about the Messiah. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And they're saying, this is Joseph's son. And look at what he says about them in verse 23. And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but none of them was Elias sent, to, uh, sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman which was a widow, that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed save Naaman, the Syrian. And they, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way and they came down and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee and taught them in the days of Sabbath. And they uh, taught them on the Sabbath days and they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power. Mercy. You know, it's interesting that verse number 23, he gives really what I would say is the key right here. He says, you're going to say to me this, physician, heal thyself. It's a proverb of hypocrisy that a doctor wants to tell everybody how to be healed, but he can't heal himself. But the reality is, that, and this is the central theme here, but here's the thing. This is what I would show you today. This is what I would say to you, is that our scene shows us the dangers of this form of, of hypocrisy, both sides of it. It is awfully dangerous to be saved and have a hypocritical testimony. But also, catch this. It is especially dangerous to accuse someone of this because you're really deflecting from your own pride and unbelief. And such was the case of Nazareth. So here's what I'm going to preach on this morning, the dangers of the doctor. Because really, I think that's what the, you know, that's the, anyways, we're going to, I'm just telling you this morning, there's a lot to chew on here, and there was a lot to wrestle with here, but I believe it'll be a blessing to you when it's all said and done. Father, bless the preaching now in Jesus' name, amen. Won't you be seated uh, this morning? Again, I want to call your attention to verse number 23 again. And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself, and whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in here in thy country. It's interesting that he uses the word proverb here to describe this. What I would say is the key thought here that all of this passage surrounds uh, in this scene of, of Nazareth. The reason for the use of this word proverb is because this was well known 
In, uh, this was a well-known saying in the Roman culture during those days. For example, there was a man by the name of Cicero that lived from 106 B.C. to 43 B.C. He was a well-known orator and philosopher and statesman. And after suffering the loss of his daughter, Tullia, Cicero became very depressed and grieved, though he himself had been a counselor to those in, in similar situations. And so his friend Sapultius wrote him a letter and he instructed Cicero and said this, and, and I quote, Do not forget that you are Cicero, one who has been used to prescribe for and give advice to others. Do not imitate those other physicians who pretend to cure others, yet they are not able to cure their own. Though Sapultius was sympathetic to the grieving Cicero, he knew that Cicero would be viewed as a hypocrite if he was not willing to submit himself to his own advice and be an example that his methods truly worked. Thus the message of the proverb tells us to fulfill our own responsibilities before we tell others how to fulfill their responsibilities. Otherwise, you are viewed as a hypocrite. I remember when Natalie and I, we, we became parents, and, and I'm just telling you, I'm very grateful for the, the parents that I had and the parents that, that she had and that we could learn and glean some things from both of them on how to raise our children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. But yet at the same time, we also realized as parents, we don't know it all. And we needed to learn some things so that we could see a godly product produced in our own homes. Now here's, but, but here's the thing. I, I didn't go and seek counsel from those who, whose children were out of order. Or they were misbehaving and they were a holy terror. You, you understand what I mean? Because here's the thing. It was obvious then that they didn't know what they were doing either. And, and, and so they were certainly not in any place to give us advice on how to raise our children because here's what. They needed to go heal thyself first. But, it's, but you understand, because, because of the hypocrisy, it'd be foolish for us to take their advice. It's kind of like the guy at work that, you, you know, he's a, he's a young man and he's about to go and, and get married. And for some reason or another, it always seems to be the guy that's been married three or four times wants to open his mouth and give advice on on what to do in, in, in marriage. And of course, if you're like me, and this has happened to me at work, and some guy starts chiming in, I just start laughing. Here's why. Because he is in no place to give advice. Physician, heal thyself. Well, what I'm saying to you is this, is that whether it be parenting or marriage or, or listen, a host of other things that would fall under the realm of, of advice, this same proverb also carries weight in spiritual matters. 
In other words, it'd be pretty foolish for somebody to give advice or counsel on, on spiritual things when their life doesn't reflect those things. And, and certainly it would be viewed as hypocritical, but also this, it'd be pretty silly for us to listen and follow. And so you understand, that's the idea behind the proverb that Jesus gives in our text. But let me give you the, the really, when you begin to look at this, and I gotta, I'm just trying to bear my heart with you a minute, because sometimes when you sit down and you study a passage, you spend a lot of time mulling over the context and the meaning of the passage. And I did that, but I also dealt with, man, the, the bulk of this, and do I break it up and preach one message and another message? How do I do it? Because really, I preach one message on verse 23 alone. But I think this, you miss the context and the, and the real, I'm just telling you, the depth of it when you don't see it all. Now, what I would say to you is this. There's two very clear dangers right here on this proverb that he gives about physician, heal, heal thyself. The, one, the first thing that I want to point out to you is this. There is an obvious danger. All right? The obvious danger is this is that when you're, when, when, when you're in this type of position where you, you're someone who is trying to give advice to others, but you've got issues in your own life, li listen, nobody's going to listen to that. Especially those of his own home who know him or her best. Especially, you understand, and Jesus knew that, which is why he gives us what I would say he gives us the right kind of example of, of being a right kind of, of physician in the beginning of the text. All right, so go back with me and look at what happens from verses 14 all the way down through verse 21. Look at verse 14 and, and 15. Look, notice what it says here. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified uh, of all. And so right here we're told that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit from the temptation in the wilderness from the previous verses. Listen to this. Immediately, immediately, we are given a lesson as God's people on how to be filled with the Spirit and have His power on our lives. You want to know how to do that? Resist temptation. Yeah. Turn away. No, no, no. Resist your, your lust and resist your flesh. And because, and as you do, you will instead be yielded to the Spirit's control, thus the Spirit's power in your life. Listen, being filled with the Spirit of God is not you and I getting more of Him. You're going to get, listen, you got all you're going to get of the Spirit of God when you got saved. Being filled with the Spirit is not you getting more of Him. It's Him getting more of you. And the way that that happens is when you and I learn to resist our flesh and to resist the temptation of the world and the flesh and the devil and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the, and, and the, lust of the flesh and the pride of life, and we turn away from those things and we yield to the Spirit of God in our lives. Jesus does that. He comes back filled with the power of the Spirit on His life. Mercy, I cannot emphasize that lesson enough. But not only do we see that, we also begin to see this, where the Lord Jesus had already begun the, in, in the region of Galilee in places like Capernaum, preaching and healing to the point that His fame had, had rapidly grown. 
You, you think about John's gospel that has the miracles in Cana. The, the wedding uh, at the wedding feast and in the healing of the nobleman's son. Matthew's gospel sums it up like this in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing in all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Samaria, or Syria, rather. Well, and, and all of the healing that he did, what is interesting to note is this. Jesus didn't start in Nazareth. You ever think about that? You know what I think? I believe this. He knew what their response would be. And, and I believe this. He, did, he went in the regions of Galilee and places like Capernaum and spent more time there at the beginning of his ministry. Here's why. So he would have more proof to validate who he was. Come on, friend. Listen, I don't have time to go back through the Scriptures, but do you understand that the city of Nazareth as a whole, the town where he was born and raised at, they already had so much testimony of him. You understand? This is where Mary got the, Mary got the message from Gabriel that she's going to give birth as a virgin. This all happened in Nazareth. They knew, listen, they knew that he had to go, that, that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem and that's where he was born. That's a fulfillment of Scripture. Not, not only that, but no doubt they heard, they heard about what went on at the dedication of the temple. They heard, they, they saw, they heard the message of John the Baptist and testifying of him. Then not only that, but the, 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 the Spirit of God descending upon him in the form of a dove, the heavenly Father sounding from, from, from the heavens above, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So they've got all of these different things, and now all of a sudden this same individual is going around the regions of Galilee, and he's preaching the gospel and healing people, and his fame is growing Look down at verse number 16. He comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up as his custom was. <laughs> and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he comes to his hometown. Now with the message of the gospel, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He says this, as was his custom. So what does that mean? Well, not only does it speak to what he had been doing in the other towns throughout Galilee, but it also speaks to what he had been doing throughout his whole life. That Joseph and Mary, they were faithful to teach their kids to worship God on the day he commanded to worship Him. The Sabbath. And Jesus was following suit to that. No, no, come on, friend. And not only that, but, but when given the Scripture to read, it says this, that he, opened, that he stood and opened the book. And what a picture that is of Nehemiah chapter 8 where he's showing reverence and honor to the Word of God. Kind of like what we do. Should sound familiar. Is anybody getting this? Then, then look at what else happened. So, so then what he, there was delivered, verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place that was written therein. So he's handed the book of Isaiah. What a validation that Isaiah is the Word of God. And then he begins to read in verse number 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And he even goes down and says in verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 and half of verse number 2. It is a well-known messianic passage. It's interesting to note, and I don't have time to do this, but you can go back and read Isaiah 61 and verses 1 and 2, and you will find out this, that Jesus leaves out the second half of chapter 2, which talks about His vengeance and wrath. You know why? Because that has to do with His second coming. This is about His first coming, where He is bringing redemption and salvation to all of mankind. He's come to bring the gospel, the good news, to those who are poor in spirit, talking about meek and humble in their spirit. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. Come on, aren't you glad for that? Come on, He's come to deliver those in captive to their sin. He's come to give sight to those who are spiritually blind and physically blind. I mean, you understand the things that He's doing here. He's come to deliver and offer forgiveness to those who are bruised or crushed by the weight of their sin. And then He says this, this is the acceptable year of our Lord. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, which is also another quote from Isaiah 49.8. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And after all of this, in verses 21 and, or 20 and 21, Jesus closes the book, hands it to the priest, and sits down. And as all the eyes are fastened upon Him, he, here's what He says. This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your eyes, or your ears. You know what He's saying? He's saying this. I am the Messiah. That's what He's saying. That's what He's proclaiming. Now we, listen, we know what their accusation of Him is going to be in the following verse. They're going to say this, physician, heal thyself. But we also know this, it's a false accusation. Well, why do you say that, preacher? Well, because the testimony of Jesus Christ is without sin. It's perfect. And the reality is this, that when you begin to look right here at the Lord Jesus Christ, Everything that he did was spot on on how to be a right testimony, how to be a physician that can go and help others. Well, here's how, by knowing the great physician and having a testimony of one that, that does. You ever, you ever think about these things? Listen, he, he demonstrates exactly what you and I need to have is to be a testimony and a witness to those around us. Here's what he does. Let me give you these things quickly. Number one is this. We must be a people who resist the flesh and temptation and walk in the Spirit's power. Now, I'm sure we do that. Yeah. If we're living powerless and in bondage to our sin, the truth of the matter is we're a physician that needs to help ourselves first. We must be a people who are faithful in the things of God. What do you mean by that? Well, Jesus, though the Savior still understood it necessary to be obedient to the Word and be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Hello? Now, 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 wait, wait a minute. Now, here, listen, we're not Seventh-day Advents. 
Because we know this, according to the Scripture, Jesus is going to die, He's going to be buried three days and three nights, and He's going to rise again the first day of the week. Somebody say amen. amen. And because of that, because of Him truly being the Savior and the Messiah and rising again on the first day of the week, that then, then the New Testament church begins to meet together on the first day of the week to magnify and glorify their Savior. Well, that's awesome. That means this, we ought to be in church on Sunday. You can watch college football on Saturday, but you've got to be in church on Sunday. Last time I checked, that's still what we're supposed to do. Come on, friend, because here's, listen, no, 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 no. Because if we fail to do so, then aren't we sending the message to those around us that really other things are more important and those things are our God rather than the one that died and gave himself for us? But here's the third thing. We must also be a people who has experienced his saving power that Isaiah prophesies of. Listen, if you are discouraged and you are living in bondage to sin and you are spiritually blind and overwhelmed with guilt and misery, listen, all of these things are the opposite of what Jesus said He came to do. And the truth of the matter is that's exactly the world that we live in. Listen, if you, I'm just telling you, you're not going to have a positive impact for Jesus Christ on your family when you're living in bitterness and despair. You're not going to have an impact on your coworkers when you're living in the same bondage of sin that they are. And you're not going to, listen, and you're not going to have an impact on your neighbors when you are spiritually blind and walking in the same immorality and wickedness that their world is in. You understand what I'm saying? Someone once rightly said it like this. The church has a greater impact on the world when it's less like the world. But the sad, and the sad part, this is the sad part of it all, is that the world has somewhat of an expectation that God's people would be different, but God's people just can't seem to see that. And, and, and listen... It, and we live like the world, and because of that, we've lost our influence. We, we are telling the world, listen to me, we are telling the world that they need to know Christ as their Savior, or they will die and go to hell, yet the world is looking at us and saying, Physician, heal thyself. When what they need to see is someone that's genuinely saved, and sold out to Jesus Christ, obedient to Him, filled up with Him, having His joy, having His grace, living according to Him and not according to this world. And when they do, when they see that, they will say, Whatever it is you got, I want. And you can help them to show them the great physician that healed you. Now that's, listen, that's obvious, isn't it? Come on, that it's, it, it would, we would say it like this. It'd be obviously dangerous to, to live in opposite of the example of Jesus Christ and to live in the flesh and to walk in, 
in, in wickedness and, and bitterness and, and all of those things, and yet still trying to, to tell the world that they need to get right with God when the reality is we're the ones that need to get right with God. It's just obviously, obvious danger, isn't it? It's obvious. I think, listen, that's what, kind of why it's probably so quiet in here because people are going, well, preacher, you've not said anything that we don't already know and that you don't say all the time. I know. Because it's obvious. But this is what's interesting. There's also an obscure, obscure danger that Nazareth begins to, Nazareth begins to demonstrate in, in the next verses. You see, the reality is this. This is a false accusation against Jesus Christ. Well, because He is the Savior. He is without sin. But Jesus shows us. Listen to this. Oh, come on, child of God. You've got to pay attention to this. Jesus shows us that sometimes you can do everything you can to have a right testimony, but people will still falsely accuse you. And also think about this. This is what I like. Do you know this? You can even preach a positive message. He left, <laughs> he left the wrath part out. He didn't even talk about that. He left that out. Positive. He didn't even do like John the Baptist and go, well, you bunch of snakes, here's what the Bible says. He didn't do any of that. The point is this, sometimes you can have, listen, sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with you. And the true problem lies with the one to whom the message is being given to. It's kind of like my wife will come up to me sometimes and go, hey, did you hear what I said? You didn't hear anything that I said to you, did you? And I'll be like, that's a weird way to start a conversation. Amen. Amen. Listen, listen, the problem's not her. It's me. And all the lady said? Exactly. And all the husbands are like, guilty? Yeah. The point is this. Listen to me. The point is this. This was Nazareth. The problem wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem... No, no, no. He's the great physician. The problem wasn't the message because it's true. The problem was their unbelief. And notice, listen, notice their response in verse number 22. Because as they all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, they said, they said this, is not this Joseph's son? And, and really the truth is, that is a pot shot to say this, you're not who you just claim to be. You're not the Messiah. You see, watch this. Now watch this. Oh, come on. I got this underlined in my notes. If you don't get anything else this morning, you got to grab a hold of this because this is the obscure danger. This is the one that goes unnoticed at times. They were falsely accusing him as the hypocrite. However, this was really a defense mechanism. It shifted the blame to him so that they wouldn't have to deal with their own pride and unbelief. You ever think about that? You ever go up and invite somebody to come to church and they say this, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go down there with them bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to be around them. 
I've had people say that to me. You know what's interesting is that when people say that, really what they're doing is they're deflecting. They're, they're deflecting. Because the answer, the answer to that is, is really twofold. One, the reality is this. Did you know this? That to a certain extent, we're all hypocrites. Do you know why? Because we're all sinners. Do you understand that? That means this, that, 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 that there, have, there, there have been times where we said that we would or wouldn't do something and we ended up doing it. Or not doing it. That's hypocrisy. And, and that's the truth. Let me, I'll, I'll give you... Come on, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a perfect example. Have you ever said, I will never? And you done it? This is what I said when Natalie and I got married and we started having kids. And I said this, I will never have a minivan. <laughs> Ugly vehicle. Terrible. Now, praise God, I don't have a minivan now. But I did for about 10 years. And you know what we found? We liked it. Because, man, there's all kinds of room in there. You can sit in the back and watch the DVD player. Pretty awesome. I'd just rather do that in my Jeep, though, now. Here, here's, listen, now, here's what I would say. I would, I would say this now. Thankfully, I'm not in, that, in a minivan now. We're out of that phase. But I'm not saying never. I'm just hoping. You ever done that, though? You ever said something like, I'll never? And then you did it? You know what that is? Hypocrisy. Here's the second thing. Listen to this. The other thing about that is this. Is that if your claim is you don't want to go where hypocrites go, then here's the thing. Don't go to Walmart either. That's where this hypocrite shops. Don't go to McDonald's. That's my little hypocrite's favorite place to eat. Don't go to the gas station. That's where some of us hypocrites have to go to get gas. See, listen, the reality is this. Please listen to this. When you put higher standards on others that you yourself aren't willing to keep, you in turn become the one that's truly a hypocrite. And the truth is, it is nothing more than trying to shift the blame to someone else so that you don't have to deal with your own spiritual condition. And the great danger is this, is that really you think you're the one that's right when you're not the one that's right because you're filled up with unbelief and pride and in a wrong relationship with God. And that was the case of Nazareth. And this is interesting. If you begin to see what happens as Jesus, Jesus begins to deal with this, this, this blame shifting and deflecting from their own spiritual condition. And he begins to show them some things. Look at what he says in verse 24. Because he begins to show them why they have what they have, the cause of all of it. He says this, And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. The truth is, this is another well-known statement throughout the Scriptures. Jesus says this on multiple occasions in different forms. A prophet has no regard in his own home. Or in this case, he says, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Do you realize that that's all throughout the Bible? One of my favorite examples of that is Jeremiah that we're going through in men's Bible study. If you'll look and study the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was hated by the priests in Anathoth. 
Do you know where Jeremiah was born and raised? Anathoth. They despised him, but he was still a prophet. And they missed the message of God because of their own pride and wickedness. For some reason, listen to this, for some reason, when a young man has grown up around us, or we've known him for all or much of his life, or even I would say things like this, or we're older than him. Much older sometimes in some cases. We feel that we feel as if we bear some authority over them. And as we do, then we say, then we start thinking this they don't have a right to tell me what to do. Let me, let me help you with this though. The problem is that the authority you feel you bear is a superficial one. I said this, it's a superficial one. It doesn't exist except within your own mind and your pride. And, and listen, and if, there was, and if there was some situation where it was a father or a grandfather or whatever the case may be, listen to this, all is done away with when it comes to God's calling on a man. Because now it becomes His authority, not yours. And His authority supersedes all other authorities. You understand? See, now, watch this. Now it's that man's responsibility to proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. And regardless of how you feel or how long you've known that man, it no longer matters. Because the reality is it's no longer about him. It's about this. And when you deflect to back to Him, all you're saying is, I don't really want to deal with this. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, this is, you know, this is the sad thing about this, is that this is why most of the time, guys don't want to go back and pastor their home church. Because there is this unnecessary struggle with authority. The people are still pinching his cheeks after the service because they see him as that little boy that used to be in junior church. That was such a good message. And you don't even know what he said. And it really ends up being a, a hindrance on a church. Listen, listen to me. Please listen to this. It ends up being a a hindrance on a church, and here's why. It keeps them from going forward. Because they're not willing to follow the pastor, they're wanting to try to pastor through him. Or even sometimes, do you know this? It, It keeps a church from having a pastor in the future. Because where they could have raised up one for their own, and of their own, they missed out on it because they had an attitude problem. That's pretty good. Let me warn Faith Baptist Church of this type of mentality. We'd better be careful about having this type of attitude when we have young men that are surrendered to preach in this church. And yes, I realize there are guys that we have training for the ministry there at Heartland Baptist Bible College or getting ready to go or whatever the case may be. And these guys get up and they preach and they're not seasoned and they're not veteran or any of those things. And they obviously have to grow in their preaching 
And I realize that, but I would also say this, we also have guys that have grown up in this church and know very much how to handle the Word of God and do a great job with it. And we had better be careful to start thinking that we bear some kind of authority over that because the truth of the matter is just as all of those guys and myself included are growing, listen, you too are growing. You've not spiritually arrived. Just like I haven't spiritually arrived. And what I'm saying to you is this, is that rather than viewing them as one who's supposedly under your authority, why not view them as God's man under God's authority, giving, thus saith the Lord. Because the truth is, listen, it's not really about them, it's about Him and His Word. But I think sometimes this attitude just exists even when it's me. He's too long. He's too short. I never had that one happen. <laughs> He's too loud. He's too quiet. Never had that one happen either. He's too crazy. He's not crazy enough. I had one time I had a teenage boy said, if we sit up on the front, is that okay? Or are you going to jump over the pews? And I said, well, there's a liability clause you have to sign. You know, the thing is, folks, listen. Let me give you some help here. Stop trying to put me in this little box that you think I need to be in. Because the reality is this, that's only deflecting what you need from the Word of God. Because really it's not about me. Don't get me wrong, I got my issues, I know that. I'm glad nobody said amen right there. (laughs) But you understand, it's not about me. It's not. It's about giving, thus saith the Lord. And I think so oftentimes we try to shift the blame to whoever it is in the pulpit and to throw it back on them. And it's our way of deflecting what they're preaching that we need. And in this case, that's exactly what's happening to Nazareth when they could have been receiving the Messiah and being saved, they're shifting it back on Him in a false accusation. And oh my soul, how many times people miss the gospel of Jesus Christ and receiving it in their own life because they're so focused on being a critic of whoever it is that's up on the platform. And the reality is, that's our world. Everybody's a stinking critic. Everybody's on social media throwing up their opinions. You can't do anything now and put it on social media because everybody's got some other way to do it and they harass you and give, give you a hard time. And this is what I've always said. Some of these people just haven't been punched in the mouth yet. Otherwise, they'd shut up. But I'm just saying to you, that's the world we live in. And the problem is this. We bring it from out there and we bring it in here and we start going, oh, look, he didn't do that. He did I don't like this. And I don't, he didn't shake my hand and he didn't talk to me. And it's all about shifting the blame and deflecting and deflecting and deflecting when the Word of God's going, this is you, this is you, this is you, this is you. Drop the pride, drop the pride. Stop saying, physician, heal thyself when you're the one that needs it. And if you look, he shows us not only why, where it came from, but my soul, why all of this is important because of how much it cost. Look at verse 25. In verse 25 and 26 and 27, he says, I tell you the truth. 
Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. When the heaven was shut up three, month, three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, all the land, but, none of them was, but, but, but unto none of them was Elias, talking about Elijah, sent, save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So he gives, us, he gives a biblical scenario, an account here of Elijah the prophet being sent to one widow. Listen, though there were a multitude of widows, no doubt, in need because of the famine. Look down at verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, talking about Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed save Naaman the Syrian, the captain of the Syrian army, who had the little Israelite servant girl who said, oh, my Lord just knew about the prophet in, in Israel talking about Elisha. And he went to Elijah. And Elisha said, go and baptize thyself, go and dip thyself seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman going, that nasty river? But he did it anyways, and guess what? He was cleansed of his leprosy. Not because of anything magical about the water, but because he did what the word of God, man of God said from the Word of God. But there were a multitude that were dealing with leprosy. There were a multitude of widows starving. Please catch this. But in both of those, both of those scenarios, God overlooked the multitudes in need. Not because He didn't care about them, but because He only knew of two individuals who were willing to actually listen. Not try to shift the blame. Get defensive. Narcissist. Chew, 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 chew. And not willing to receive correction. So sick of that. And it gets to the end. He just gave us two examples. One of them's a Gentile. The other one was in Samaria. <laughs> and they and they grab him, they're furiated, and they want to go out and throw him off the cliff. And listen to this. The one miracle they got was that he walked right through the midst of them. And they couldn't touch him. The Bible says this, that he did not many works there because of their unbelief. Listen to me. You want to know what the cost of all this is? The cost is this. We hinder, we hinder ourselves from seeing God do amazing things in our midst. Because we're so busy deflecting and we're not willing to humble ourselves and drop our pride and see where we're the ones in the wrong. Oh, there's an obvious danger. But I think there's also an obscure danger that really a lot of people are living in right now. And anytime somebody comes along and tries to give them the simple truth out of the Word of God to try to love on them and help them, they deflect. Because of their own pride and unbelief and they're, willing, they're not willing to be corrected. God help us to never get to that place where we've got in our midst a man of God giving the word of God. But while we're not willing to drop the pride and go, you know, it's not really about him or anybody else. It's just me. And I need to get right with God. Let's all stand.